discipleship is one of those words that we um, sometimes just sort of say and expect that everybody knows what it means, but when we're pressed to give a definition of what a disciple is, it can vary wildly among us. We can have various ideas of what a good disciple looks like. And as United Methodists in our church body, the large whole denomination, our mission statement has the word discipleship in it. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So this is something that we as Methodists should maybe talk about a little bit. So we're going to talk about this today. And I want to say that discipleship is participating in the kingdom of heaven and constantly being invited into the kingdom of heaven and invited into change. See, we get hung up at times on discipleship, I think, or at least I do, about what is, what is discipleship. Do I have to have a good amount of knowledge, a good knowledge of the Scriptures in order to be a good disciple? And if I know just enough about Scripture, and if I know just enough about how to interpret Scripture just the right way, that I'll be a good disciple. Or is discipleship more about doing? Is it something that we do? That we go out into the world to do these good deeds that God has called us to do? To make sure that people know we are Christian by what we do in the world. And I think that the obvious answer is that both of these things are needed. We both need to have the knowledge and the doing of discipleship. That both of these things together lead us to growth and to change. And I'm assuming that those of you who have been disciples of Jesus for a long time, have been Christians for a good long while, your understanding of who you are as a disciple has changed over the years. You're not the same person you were when you got your Bible in third grade or when you were confirmed, but today you have grown in your love of God and you continue to grow in your love of God every day of your life. That's what discipleship is is that's participating in the kingdom of heaven, the continual growth and change and continual response to the invitation to be part of God's kingdom here on earth. Now we have another reading today from Jonah, and I'm not going to read it. It's not that it's too long. But it's the ending of Jonah. And we often 
we do the Sunday school bit of Jonah, right? Or the um, um, what's the what's the song from the '60s? You got to accentuate the positive. Jonah and the whale, Noah and the ark. What did they do when everything looked so dark? Got to accentuate the positive. E Lynn. Make the negative, right? That came out in the 60s or 70s, right? People remember better than I do. Uh, so. But we get that story of Jonah and the whale, and we sort of focus in on that. But that story is very interesting to me. It's one of my favorite stories in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. And and I have a lot of favorite stories in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament. They're all my favorite stories. It's like choosing a favorite child. I can't choose just one. But this story today, this story of Jonah, is, is interesting because Jonah is called to go to this city called Nineveh, the city of prophets. The city, and he's called to go there and to preach against them, to preach against the prophecies that they're making, the way that they say life is. Jonah gets this call from God, and and Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq, or Persia, or some way far east of modern-day Israel, which is where, where Jonah was living. Jonah gets this call, and immediately goes down to the port, and hops on a boat going in exactly the opposite direction to the city of Tarshish, which is on the southern coast of Spain. Jonah basically goes to the other end of the world to avoid participating in what God's called him to do. And just... Before this lesson in Matthew today, we had the story of the rich young ruler who, like Jonah, was also a Hebrew of Hebrews, was a person of God, was someone who knew their place in the world, was absolutely certain that they were part of the chosen people of God. And he has this question. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says to him first, follow the law, all ten commandments. And he says, yes, 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 I do that. And Jesus says, good. Now, sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor. The rich man's not too fond of this idea. And he leaves and goes the other way. And we have in this short section of Matthew, just before what we read today and the end of what we, we, we read today, there's about 30 verses and there's about three or four verses that we always come back to. Because we... The next verse, we, we already had the what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. And then it's, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven. Right? You remember that verse? 
That's a good one. In that lens, in that space, Jesus responding to Peter's question of how then do we get into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says it's impossible for humanity to do it, but for God all things are possible. In other words, there's nothing we can do to get into heaven. There's no way we're going to be like that camel slipping through the eye of the needle. It's all about God inviting us in. So Jesus tells a story of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who goes out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And he agrees on the price to pay them, pays them enough for their daily wage. And another way to say that might be pays them enough for their daily bread. And he sends those people out into his vineyard for them to start working. And then, who knows why, he goes back into the city center, the town square, and finds more people to hire. And then he does it again and again and again for a total of five times. And that last group he gets, he invites them out an hour before the end of the workday. And then he tells his manager to pay them all to pay them all the same wage. And when the people who are first get to the head of the line, they're all excited because they're expecting to get paid more because they've been working all day in a hot, hot heat. They were the first ones. They were, they were the Hebrews of Hebrews they were the ones who were going to get more because they've been faithful since the beginning. They've always done this the way that they were supposed to do it. But they get paid the same amount. This story, I think, invites us to change how we see the entirety of the world. It invites us to change from seeing the world with our lenses, our rose-colored glasses of the way we want to see the world, and instead invites us to see the world through the kingdom of heaven, the lenses of the kingdom of heaven, to give up our lenses of being Minnesotan or Winnebagoites or is that the proper term? Are you all Winnebagoites? Winnebagoidians? Is there a proper... Have you ever thought about that? Is that something that you all... Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea what a person from North Mankato was called. So I... Yeah. A Minnesotan. We're all Minnesotans here. But that's not the end-all and be-all of existence. The end all and be all of existence is that God is inviting us to participate 
in the reign of God here and now, the reign of heaven here and now. And something about that, being invited into participating in the reign of heaven here and now, is all about giving up our priorities, our statuses, what God, what we've done for ourselves and giving all that up and letting God do God-type things for us. It's a fundamental changing of how we view the world. This is what discipleship is. This is what it is to have hope in God, in the triune God, in Jesus Christ, this hope in the one who is resurrected from the dead because that's one of the first things, the first witness those women on early in the morning on the first day of the week when they come to the tomb and they find the tomb empty. The way they knew the world worked didn't work that way anymore. When you're dead for three days, you stay dead. But the tomb was empty and Christ had been resurrected. And that's the beginning of what it is to participate in the kingdom of God. That's one of the first things we see of how this world is going to be reordered from how we expect it to be. The hope we have in our lives and in the world, in our space with God, is that God invites us into the kingdom of heaven without judgment on what we have done, invites us to come and work, whether we're there right away in the morning or whether we show up a little bit later in the afternoon or whether we missed out the first time around. And God seems to be inviting us out to ask other people to come in and to participate also in the kingdom of heaven so that we can make disciples of God for the transformation of the world. And that is good news indeed. Amen.